created live on Fireside. Hello, David. How are you? Welcome to Fireside. Thanks so much, Juliet. So, guys, YNS Live with David Schreiner Khan, who is the founder of Smashing the Plateau. It is a podcast and a, basically a movement. I'm going to say, David, I'm going to go. I'm going to go there to a movement, a community building movement. I'm really excited about this because, as you guys know, usually I have women on. I have had um, some men on as well, and David and I connected. I was actually on his podcast. And we had such synergy that I said, you know what, you have to come on to Fireside. Okay, so I want to actually, which is really exciting, we have a new sponsor here, YNS Live, and your next stop. So Together Women Rise is dedicated to ensuring that every woman and girl has the opportunity to live freely, pursue her dreams, and reach her full potential. They are a powerful community of women and allies engaged in learning, giving, community, and building. So visit togetherwomenrise.org to learn more and join them. I had them on um, Barbara and Wendy. They were on last week, I believe it was, where they shared the story of how they founded Together Women Rise. And it is an incredible, incredible story. So we will actually be having them on because they had um, so many different avenues and so many different stories that um, I wanted to dive into. So we'll be having them on again with some of the, the people that they work with at Together Women Rise. So definitely go check out togetherwomenrise.org. And now I want to hand it over to Dave. David. David, I would love for you to share your story. And I know, you know, we've talked, I know a little bit about it, but what I want to hear, you know, people to hear wherever you're listening is how people can make pivots, what actually makes them make a pivot and how does it happen? So I'm going to hand it over to you. If you can give us a little bit of background on yourself and then how you followed a passion and where you are now. Sure. Thanks, Juliet. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting when when I was in school, which is now a long time ago, there was an assumption that um, a career path would be fairly linear. You'd study something, you'd get a job, you go to work. Um, in particular, if you worked for a big corporation, that there'd be lots of opportunities within the same organization for you to climb the corporate ladder, and that you'd be in one career. Um, things things would. Um, would accelerate for you fairly linearly. You'd uh, do your thing for 30, 40 years or so, and then you would retire and um, um, live a happy life. And in actuality, it, it, um, it didn't happen that way for me. And the reality is it doesn't happen that way for the vast majority of people. And in fact, if it does happen that way, it's probably going to be quite boring. So, uh, you know, with that, that in mind, so my story is I studied chemical engineering. I have a master's from Cornell. Um, so good education, spent a lot of time studying this, you know, these very technical areas. Um, I had two different jobs that lasted in total for a little over four years in, um, as an engineer. They were good jobs. I was well paid. I liked what I did. I was good at it. And um, the first trigger for me was in um, my second job, just after my second anniversary there and my second annual performance review, which was a great review. Um, they were very happy with what I did. I got a really nice raise. A month later, my boss calls me into his office and says, David, I have good news and bad news. Good news is you're doing a good job. The bad news is you don't have a job here anymore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, 
you know, I was young and um, naive and, you know, we weren't in school. We weren't really taught a lot about um, the, the business. We were taught about doing engineering and solving technical problems. And I was not paying attention to the fact that the company that I worked for had actually lost a lot of business and they ended up firing a huge portion of the staff, including me. Um, so it wasn't performance related, but I was still unemployed. And um, it caused me to do a lot of soul searching. Um, um, and the, the next job that I got was in a totally different field because I, I had become very disillusioned with sort of, you know, corporate life um, and wanted to be able to do something else. And I ended up um, going into the nonprofit sector and became um, uh, basically a, a nonprofit manager. I had various executive roles in three different organizations over the next 23 years. Um, and um, it was a lot more fulfilling to me personally because I was doing things that I thought had um, social impact and, and I had really direct connection with the people that we served in a way that I didn't when I was an engineer. So in terms of the kind of work I was doing, it was, it was way more rewarding. Um, it was... Um, that actually, those 23 years in some ways were probably the most linear of my, um, of my career. And I did grow in, the, in, in my roles. I grew in, within the organizations. The organizations that I worked for also grew, so there were more opportunities. Um, however, um, I had learned early on in my career how important it is to always have a plan B because you never know when things may change. And... Um, so I had always thought about, well, what would I like to be doing that I'm not doing now? And, and maybe where are there things where I could um, actually be more satisfied with what I'm doing? And the one piece that, um, that always bothered me was um, not having the kind of control that you have when you don't have a boss. So the, the, the idea of entrepreneurship was something that had always intrigued me. But I didn't grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. I grew up with um, two parents who both were employees um, and were, were very um, averse to taking risks. And so um, and I wasn't really exposed to people who are entrepreneurs. Um, however, when I was in the nonprofit sector, the board members were mostly entrepreneurs, some of them right. very successful. Um, so I was actually spending time with um, um, with a lot of CEOs who were who, who ran big companies. And, um, and I got to see, a, you know, sort of very different side of how you could work and make a living. Um, and, I, and over time, I also became friends with people who were entrepreneurs, I had a good friend who was uh, a solo consultant who, like me, was trained as an engineer. Um, he actually still worked as an engineer, but he went into his own business early on in his career. And he kept saying to me, David, I don't know why you don't just do what I what I did and just go out on your own. And I'm like, well, you know, there's the paycheck and, there's the, you know, expenses for the family and all that. And I was like, um, you know, I was I was reluctant to to take what I perceived of as as being a risk and and being self-employed. Yet I kind of still wanted to do it. And so my plan B became and this this took some time but it became um to go out on my own and the easiest for me was to go from being a nonprofit executive to being a nonprofit management consultant so i actually did that um and um and i did I'm gonna, 
I'm going to actually pause you. Well, because I have, I, I don't want you to hold that thought if, if, if it doesn't okay. disturb you. Because there's a couple things that you said that I want the listeners to, to really kind of hone in on. And one of them was that you went on the path. I mean, you obviously went to school and had in your mind, okay, I mean, you went to Cornell and then, you know, you got your MBA and, and, and what kind of- No MBA, no. Just a ma- master's in master, engineering. Master's, sorry. Master's engineering. But so, I mean, that is a is a certain brain. And, and an entrepreneur, you know, we all like, we talk about different things, different brains, how they work in certain in certain corporations or, or in life in different ways. So the one thing that kind of, I want to go back and I want you to kind of go into your mindset. When you were in that four years, you worked your butt off, as you said. I mean, obviously you were a good student, so you worked really hard. And you then all of a sudden were let go from the company that you thought that you probably were going to be for a long time. And this is like your path. Now, everyone knows that listens to the podcast. I truly believe whether it's God or the universe that you believe in. I believe in God. I believe in both, but I do believe in God that we all have a path. And a lot of times where our path takes us, it is because we're, we're building kind of blocks as we go. We're never in the wrong path. I really don't believe that, but in the path that you are, it's kind of takes you where you're learning things, you get skill sets, and then you go into the next thing. So for me, it's very fascinating because engineering to me, you know, my listeners also know I'm dyslexic. So engineering, when I hear that, I like start sweating a little bit. I'm like, Ooh, that sounds like a hard class, <laughs> like, and a hard thing to do because my brain is not an engineering brain. It's more of a, you know, a creative, uh, d- just a different brain. So when you were there and then that happened, you went into your office, first of all, how old were you? And what did that do to your mindset? Like when you, can you like kind of morph yourself back to that time and think like, okay, you were leaving the office. Did you get pissed? Were you sad? Like what emotions did you have there? Oh, when I, when I left, um, knowing that I was fired. Yes. Um, I, I was like totally blindsided. I was, uh, I was upset. Um, I, I had no idea, um, what I was going to do. And, um, and how old were you? I, I was in my late twenties. So it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but still, yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, um, my more recent experience, which at this point already was 16 years ago, of leaving my last job in the nonprofit sector where I was also fired. Um, that one, I, I remember my emotions much more clearly. Right. Um, and, um, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, as I was just telling you, I, I, I had a plan B. I knew that my next career move was going to be going out on my own. Um, and even though I was ready mentally to do that, the, the fact that I was told by the organization that I had worked for for 18 years that I was no longer wanted was really painful. Right. And, and um, you know, and when it happened that last time, I suspected it was going to happen because um, there was a new CEO who was hired. And there was there was some, and I got along with him very well. There, there weren't any personal issues. There weren't any performance issues. But um, he had a lot of the same skill sets that I had, and it was pretty clear the organization wasn't. It didn't seem likely that they were going to keep two people at high salaries, right? You know, particularly in a nonprofit. Um, and um, so I kind of knew that once once it was clear that he was being brought on board. It seemed to me that I was probably going to be on the exit ramp within, you know, some reasonable amount of time. And in fact, it was a year later that my job ended. Um, 
and, and again, I, I sort of had things mapped out in a way that I didn't have earlier on when I left engineering. And even though I had a plan and I, um, I knew what I wanted to do, um, I just wasn't in control of the actual timing of it. The, the fact that somebody told me that I wasn't wanted anymore was really painful. It's really painful. And I'm, I'm going to take it out to also thinking, um, and you know, this is not a, a sexist thing, but being a man, you know, I know in, in my family, I've had people that this has happened to where it's kind of been blindsided. It's also, you're thinking like, you're the breadwinner, you're the person that's there. And I mean, not all households are like that, but also to then all of a sudden be like, okay, you're not wanted and you're not needed anymore is, is a, a huge ego blow. I mean, it, you know, I've been in a situation where I've been let go and it was like, oh, all right, that hurt because <laughs> I thought I was doing a good job. I thought this and that. So when you had that year, when you knew, you kind of knew that for a year that you were going to let go, was there any time that you were like, I'm going to leave before they want to, you know, let me go? Or you were just like, I'm going to play this out. Did you have a plan in your mind that way? Um, I didn't really want to leave on my own um, because there was a financial incentive yeah. to being pushed out. Um, and I knew that if I wanted to start my own business, that um, all the help I could get yes. would be would be useful. Um, so I, you know, so I, I did wait for that reason. Um, and that Which is, is actually, smart. right. And that's pretty common. Um, but you're right. There's, um, not being in control of the timing is, um, is, is very painful. The other thing I'll say about it, and, and I've, you know, spent a lot of time now in the last few years with everything we've done with our podcast and the community um, kind of delving into what happens when you transition from being a longtime employee to um, being on your own as a consultant, particularly when you've been pushed out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is, if you're like me, you know, I had been in the workplace at that point for 28 years. So I was, you know, mid to high level, I was a high achiever, I'd always worked hard. And you go from a place where your inbox is overflowing your calendar is always full. There's a line of people outside your door all the time. People always want your attention. They always want your help. Um, and when you meet new people, your self-definition is, oh, I'm David. I'm the vice president of such and such at such and such company. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out the door and all of a sudden you have an empty inbox. You have an empty calendar. Oh, and by the way, the social structure that you had from work was great. You know, you had this this built-in set of colleagues, and you ha always had people that you could talk to. So you go, you you walk out the door. Your 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 time, uh, you know, your as I said, your your inbox is empty, your calendar is empty, social structure is gone, your self identity is gone because you're no longer David, who is the vice president of such and such. You're I don't know what I am because I haven't actually I'm not selling anything new yet. I don't have a new business that has started yet. Like, what do I put on my LinkedIn profile? I can't say that I'm still at the other the company because I'm gone, but I can't say I'm someplace else because I'm not there yet. And so self-identity is, is shot. And in fact, the people that were part of your circle, like the informal social structure that are your professional colleagues, all of a sudden they're ghosting you because there's a lot of shame and embarrassment with unemployment. And so... Um, it's like, even though 
you may feel like the victim that you've been pushed out. Other people don't want to hang out with you. And so it's very isolating. It's um, you, you really feel very downtrodden and overcoming that and then figuring out, particularly if you want to go out on your own, right. and then all of a sudden you have to market and sell something brand new. And the thing that you're selling is yourself. It's not, you're not selling a company. You're selling you. It's really hard. It's real, and, and you know, I just have to say, and I totally commend you for expressing all that because I think it's important for people to hear because we're, we're all, we've all been in the situation and I'm going to take it to my husband who was a very high level. Um, I was younger when I was let go. So it was like before kids and, you know, I was, I was, I think I, my husband and I were dating at the time. Um, still ego blow, but just, it was different, very different. Um, you know, I was young in the city. So I was like, <laughs> Okay, I can go to the park now. Do you know what I mean? During the day. So it's it's very different than when you're older. Um, yes. And so I remember when my husband, one of the positions that he was let go, that was completely side sideswiped. And, um, you know, we were living a, a very good life. And I just remember him saying, uh, and I'm not going to tell his story, because even if he listens to this, he's going to be like, because I, I don't always explain things exactly the way it was. I, you know, I remember it a certain way. But he always worked. So the second he was able to get working papers and work, he was a hardworking man, still is. So for the first time in his life, he didn't have a job to wake up to go to. And for him, that was really uncomfortable. So it was like, you know, he, when I think he was 14 or 13, he used to ride his bike to City Island and shut clams. Like he was a go getter. Like he was like, okay, I'm going to get job, you know, job here. He worked three jobs at one time where he didn't always need to. He just, that's the family he, he grew up into. He was a hard worker. So I remember him saying to me that it's just, He's like, I don't know what to like. I don't know what to do. Like, I've never not just woken up and gone. Like, this is what my identity. And so, everything that you just said, you explained that so well, and so many people can relate to that. So, thank you for that. I do remember the one thing he said, and then I'll I'll leave the story. But he said, I'm so uncomfortable. I need to even be more uncomfortable. And he said, Is it okay if I go travel? And I said, Of course. Do what you need to do. I, I got you know, I got this. I got the family. I want you to you work on you and you work on getting a job. I don't expect you to do anything here just because you're home. You're not going to be like emptying the dishwasher and doing things that, you know, I normally do. That's my job. Your job is to take care of you and find what you're meant to be doing. So he said, okay, I'm going to take a week and I'm going to go to Japan. And I said, oh, Japan, why? And he goes, because I, I want to be so uncomfortable that that what the part I'm in life right now is going to be less uncomfortable. And I said, okay. So he planned the entire thing, went to Japan. You know, he's a German, Irish, white guy with blue eyes, you know, by himself. Um, and, you know, he's a, he really thought it was going to be a Zen moment. Like he was going to really be able to, and he's not like someone that he's from the Bronx. He doesn't really, he's not a meditator <laughs> by any means. And he's a, he's a Bronx boy. Um, but he said, it, he's like, I really just wanted to sit and people watch in a different environment. He's like, you know, I didn't realize Tokyo, everything's, you know, like he's like, I thought there was going to be some parts so that you could people watch. He's like, everything was so fast moving, even more than New York City. But he got out of something. He was ready to come home and he was ready to come home. And he's like, okay, now. And he literally every morning, he did the same thing. He went on LinkedIn, you know, he, he networked, he did his thing and he was able to land a job. But it was that, that, part that it was like he needed to get uncomfortable even more than he was to get back into his routine and get his mind straight. So explaining that again, I think is, is really helpful to people. So 
once you did that, once you were like now more, and he went back into the corporate world. So, you know, I kept saying to him, go, you know, why don't you become an entrepreneur? And that's just not, it's not his path. It's not his journey. It's not what he's meant to do, especially, you know, now. Um, you never know, right? You never know though what someone's, if they're on the path that they're supposed to do. So you then decided, okay, I'm going to go out out on my own because of that that advice that you got from someone that you worked with, which I love that you kind of kept that in the back of your mind and was like, you know what, do I want to go through this again? Do I want to kind of do my own thing? So how did you come up with the concept? And was it always smashing the plateau? Like, did that name come right to you? How did how did that all work? Oh, so the, the first business that I started, actually, I was an ind- independent consultant um, as a sole proprietor. Um, mm-hmm. I did not create a business name. It was just me. Um, getting paid on a 1099 as opposed to a W-2. And I did get some clients fairly early on. Um, I also, you know, over the years, got to know people who were independent consultants. And as a matter of fact, in my my jobs in the nonprofit sector, I was often the person who would negotiate with consultants and hire consultants. So I, so I was the client working with consultants. So I, I saw a lot of what they did, how they did it, um, I saw the contracts, so I knew what you know what they wrote in proposals. Um, so the um, yeah, so I just I just worked on my own, but I did um, I did create a corporation within the first year once I saw that that this business thing was really working. Yeah, I, I didn't go through the process of creating a separate business entity on day one. I actually just tried to get some business. Um, and by the way, if you're thinking about going out on your own first thing you should do is sell before you, before you create a website or, or yeah. worry about entity formation or all the, and the, like the administrative stuff, unless you actually have somebody paying you, you don't have a business. So the most right. important thing is just sell, see, see what you could sell, get some traction. Um, the, the rest of it you can figure out. So I, so I did, you know, I did create a corporation. Um, it was in my own name initially. I didn't have any kind of branding or anything. Um, it was actually a few years before I created a separate um, uh, corporate identity, which mm-hmm. the the initial name um, that um, that we used was Tend Strategic Partners, which was the name of the consulting business. Yeah. Um, didn't podcast yet at that point. Um, I had started doing like, one of the things I discovered when I went out on my own is um, the network that you have as an employee is not the network that you need as an entrepreneur. And a friend of mine who also had worked um, for a long time, um, she was a social worker. She worked in agencies and she went out on, she also, her job was, her, her she was pushed out and she started her own business as a, um, an independent social worker. And um, she invited me to come to a business networking event. Um, and I went and I had never been to anything like that before. And I was like, I was blown away. Like right. there were th- 30 people in the room whose sole purpose was to help one another with word of mouth marketing. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. And I joined. Um, turned out I got asked to be on the leadership team within six months. I was like, you really want me to be on the leadership team? I like, just walked in the door and they like, yeah, yeah you, you can do this. I'm like, okay. Um, but I started getting business from um, some, some of the people in the room. That's how I started um, working with with privately held businesses, and over time, and I, I built up my network. My network was mostly entrepreneurs, um, and I started to get known in the small business community. And the same kind of work that I had been doing with nonprofit 
organizations, which essentially was operational issues, team building issues, leadership issues, um, any kind of small organization has the same kinds of issues. Um, so I was able to do the same thing with privately held businesses. Um, and then after, I don't know, probably another five, six years, I started um, doing some content creation because I saw that consultants that were, to me, seemed to be ahead of where I was, they were putting out content. Um, and in those days, it was mostly blog posts. So I created a blog. And then a couple years after creating the, the blog, um, we migrated to uh, trying a podcast, um, mainly because I was doing... Um, uh, creating a lot of blog posts that were interview based because I was pulling into, you know, taking advantage of the relationships I built in my network. And so trying a, a audio based interview seemed like um, sort of a natural next step. And that's where, that's when we created the name Smashing the Plateau. And I, at that point, I had a small team. Um, and together we, we created the name and branded it. Um, I'm still hosting the same show, Smashing the Plateau, eight years later. Uh, yeah. we've, produ we've produced content every single week since day one, which is um, quite amazing. And they've been mostly interview-based shows. So that's like that's how you and I met, Juliet. I've met yeah. many hundreds of other people all around the world who have been on my show. I've been on their shows. So it's a great way to build your reputation get your ideas out into the world and, and meet lots of great people. And so um, the, the Smashing the Plateau brand actually developed first around the podcast. Um, I started a second podcast in 2019 called Going Solo, which is about the actual transition from employment to consulting. Um, and then this year we created the Smashing the Plateau community because as I mentioned earlier, it's really hard when you go out on your own, you feel very isolated, and you really do better when you're in a cohort with other people in a safe, caring place where you can talk with others about the things you're feeling. You can test things out. You can get feedback on things that you want to you want to roll out into the marketplace. Um, we created a community for consultants to provide um, that safe, caring place where peers can collaborate, support one another. We can, we can feed them resources that will help them build their consulting businesses. And um, we've kind of come full circle. So the Smashing the Plateau brand has really taken off with both the podcast and the community. And that really now is supporting everything we do. I love the fact that you call it a movement. Um, <laughs> well, it is. I, but... I would love for it to become a movement at some point. I, you know, there's so many people that struggle to do what they love and get paid what they're worth and to do it on their own terms, which you can do as a consultant if you know how to run a consulting business. It's right. not rocket science, but it's not easy either. Being an employee is way easier than being an entrepreneur. So I'm thrilled to be able to provide the tools and resources and the support for people to be able to make that transition from employment to consulting so they can do what they love and serve the kinds of clients they want to serve, get business, and make a decent living. Yeah, and I love, you know, one of the things, and when I said, uh, you know, the movement, it is because you really, I mean, there's a couple of things that came out of, you know, what you just were talking about. One is that you were curious, right? So you just didn't sit back and say, okay, I'm just gonna let, let's see what happens. You went out 
you asked questions, you researched, you did things to kind of, you were a forward thinker. Like, okay, I'm curious about this. I'm curious about that. How does that connect? How can I help this person more than I'm also helping myself? So that's one thing that, you know, I always say to people, think about your strengths and weaknesses. Because sometimes people don't think about their strengths as something that is actually a strength that could catapult them into something else. And the whole question things, you know, we're all one way, you know, one question away from a different life. You know, Mark Champagne says that in his book. Um, and it's really true. We are one question away from a different life because you asked uh, that one question to that person that is actually supposed to, you know, all of a sudden God kind of put them in your path. And it's like, ah, okay, that's the break I needed, or that's what I needed. And as you said, it's hard work. It's not that you're like sitting around. You are working behind the scenes all the time. And sometimes people don't realize that they're working hard when um, they're doing that because they feel like they're not getting anywhere. But all of those steps, all those networking, all those different things that you know people are doing, that's actually taking you to the next step. So what I love, though, that you're doing is you're giving them a platform. You're giving them the movement to be able to get in there and ask the questions to the people that have been there. So because of your experience, you're able to make someone else's life a little bit easier that's in that, that, um, in that position. So tell them where, tell everyone where they can find you and, uh, you know, reach out to you. Smashingtheplateau.com. And you guys can see it. It's here. It's also going to be in the show notes. So once again, I just want to say shout out to Together Women Rise is a dedicated, um, I'm sorry, I did not read that correctly. They are our sponsors and I just buffled that up. So Together Women Rise is dedicated to ensuring that every woman and girl has an opportunity to live freely, pursue her dreams and reach her full potential. They are a community of powerful women and allies engaged in learning, growing, community and building. So check out togetherwomenrise.org and um, go join them. You can actually learn what they're doing. And the reason why I actually um, wanted to put them on here, David, is because I know you have such a great network and I know people are going to listen. And it's something that maybe your listeners don't know about this organization. It's actually a nonprofit and they're doing some really great things globally for um, women and girls. And But they also have a, a strong male uh you know, a component that that's actually there that men are in there. It's just called Together Women Rise because that is the movement behind it. But you guys can check it out. There's a, a you can actually get a subscription to their newsletter. But there's chapters all around the world, and um, which is really cool. And as I said, things that they're doing where the, you know they're helping third world countries um, give them like seeds to grow different things, and those because of the money and the stuff that they're raising, the things that they're doing in each chapter, they're able to really help these, these countries and these, um, and, and women in, in all over, not just the U S which is really cool. So definitely check them out together. Womenrise.org. Um, I, you know, I want to thank everyone for listening. Cause I see on LinkedIn, you can always see how many people and there's, there's actually more people on LinkedIn and YouTube right now than here on Fireside. But it's funny because Fireside with the replays. And as I was saying earlier, Hey, Gina and Jeff, thank you for being here. And I know people have been jumping in and out, which is really cool. But the thing that's really cool about this platform is because people can go listen directly afterwards. So a lot of times when I send uh, an invite or someone knew that they had the show, but they couldn't do it because all of a sudden they're going back to the office, they always will text me and be like, hey, I caught that on the way home or I caught it on my train ride. So the replays are also so powerful. And that's why I love doing I love this platform because it's really cool to be able to broadcast live on all the different places like LinkedIn. Hey guys uh, on LinkedIn, thanks for listening and YouTube, Twitch and um, Facebook. 
And then they're able to also come in here and kind of check out Fireside. So I just want to do, I don't, David, you didn't get to hear some of the fun stuff, but like there's a, there's clapping and, um, and there's different reactions. Um, just so I want to show you a couple that, you know, we hear Gina, I know is like one that does them all the time, but so it's, it's fun the interaction. Um, <laughs> and then the laughing it's, you know, it's definitely a, a great, um, avenue, but I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. You know, I, I, um, when I was on your podcast, we definitely had a great conversation just about really stepping out of our comfort zone. And Gina, you have to listen to this, um, because you will be like, okay, I needed to hear this uh, episode. Gina is actually on a catapult. Uh, she is an entrepreneur, but she is just kind of taking a little different path in her life with her business. And it is, um, the things are just blowing up and it's really cool, but it, it's, you know, it's not always as we know when we start our own thing and, or pivot in, in our own thing. Cause sometimes we have our own thing and then we kind of make pivots in it. It's, uh, it's scary, but knowing that there's other people that have experienced what you are experiencing and what you're going through, it just makes it a little bit better. So David, you know, again, thank you so much for joining YNS live with, um, with us here on Fireside. Julia, thank you for inviting me. Yes, of course. And do you have any, 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 last, um, any last wisdom that you want to share with anyone? Um, yeah, if, if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's probably a sign that you're growing. So don't worry about it. Right. And isn't that, it, it's, it's such a truth thing when you're feeling uncomfortable, it, it is a hundred percent. And a lot of people, you know, and again, we talk about this on the podcast all the time, whether it's fear or you're uncomfortable or you're scared, you know, um, because you're taking risks when you're in that uncomfortable zone is really when you're growing, because when you're just comfortable and you're just going through life, like, I mean, we talked about this, David, like I, that to it's me is boring. It's so boring. <laughs> it's so boring. Now I, I do want to actually go back for a second. Cause I know you said like your parents were in jobs, you know, that they stay there, you know, that they didn't take risks and stuff. What do you, do you think, um, because I also think with your background going to Cornell and your education and being an engineer, and I'm not, I think engineering is, is fascinating. I think you guys have a, just an in, intellect that is, is really just, um, it, it just, it, it blows my mind. I love getting into the conversations about it, but a lot of times with, with friends that I know that are engineers, it is a different level and, and, and a different level where, I don't know how to put this. It doesn't sound not very nice. That's not. I. That's not what I'm. Just sure. say it. Just say <laughs> it. Trying. Well, it's it's a little bit of a more of a boring. You know that, but, but in in a way, you're building stuff. But so it's it's you're not bored, right? Like some engineers, like a lot of engineers, they're not bored because what they're doing is really what their brain wants. But when you decided to make that pivot, like how. Was it always, do you feel like it was always in you and you just were like, this is the path I was supposed to do because this is what society and my parents and I'm supposed to go to college, get my master's, be good in school. Like, did you take risks as a kid? Like, did you ever take risks or was like- Oh, you... as, a, as a kid, yes. Um, okay, you did. Yes. Um, I, I did all kinds of crazy things as a kid. But okay. uh, as, an, as an adult, um, yeah, I did- feel that there was an expectation that I would that a that I would go to college b that I would study something that um, um, would lead to a job future and and I think there was an expectation of um, professionally doing things that were um, 
that has some measured thought behind them as yeah. opposed to taking steps where people would say, you're doing what? Are you crazy? Like, I, I can tell you when I went from being an engineer to, to my first job in the nonprofit sector, um, not only did I totally change, um, change fields, and uh, I went into something that I, you know, I studied seven years of engineering. I know. Well, that's what right? I mean. Like, that's, I, I didn't study. Yeah. I didn't study anything related to what I was doing in the right. nonprofit sector. Um, it was amazing that I could actually get hired by somebody. I, could, I was able to convince somebody to take a chance on me, and I took a pay cut to do it. Um, it was probably, when I think about it, it was, it was probably like twenty-five, thirty percent cut in which compensation. Is, yeah, which is big. Yeah, you know, it's pretty significant. And um, most people who knew me thought I was crazy. And and again, when I went from being um, an employee in the in a nonprofit agency to being an independent consultant, um, most people I knew thought I was crazy. I, for me, I didn't think it was such a big jump because I was staying in the same field. I was just changing the way I was getting paid. And right. I was, you know, changing from working for one organization at a time to serving multiple clients. I didn't think it was such a big jump, but other people thought it was crazy. You know, the the, the question I got asked most frequently, and now this is 16 years ago, things have changed a little bit, but the question I got asked most frequently was, David, what are you going to do for health insurance? <laughs> right. And this is before, before there was the Affordable Care Act and you, the open marketplace. You really had to be employed to get health insurance. Right. All right. So- um, and I said, I'll buy it, you know, and the funny thing is, you know, I was always, I always had the CFO, um, portfolio as, as part of what I did in my job. So right. I always knew how much health insurance costs. Most people in America who are employed have no clue how much health oh, insurance so actually costs. Right. So I was not surprised when I actually had to pay many hundreds of dollars yeah. nowadays. It's thousands, thousands of dollars per month Ugh. for for health insurance, which doesn't cover 100%. It covers <laughs> only shit. a portion of it, right? Um, but yeah, the, the most common question I got was, David, what are you going to do for health insurance? I'm like, you know, there, there are more important things to worry about than that. Right. But no, and so that's the thing. It's just, it's so, because as you said, so when you said you took risks as a kid, I was like, okay, I, I see a little bit because I do. And it's almost like, again, it's a generalization and it's not, it's not good to always generalize. But when you think of accountants, like when you think of certain, you think of certain engineers roles, are the same, right? You think of you that. You think of the guys with the pocket protectors. Right. And, and, you know, and, and it fascinates me because I'm all, you know, I was so bad in school. So because of my dyslexia, so it always fascinates me when like people are good in school. Like my daughter is so good in school. And I always, she's like, mom, why? Like I still, I'm like, so amazing. But, but Julia, keep in mind the purpose of school. Oh, it's, the, I, way, <laughs> the, the, the way it's constructed, it was designed as part of the industrial age. And right. it was designed to train factory workers so that people are all doing the same thing. Right. Right? It, it does not teach. It does not teach you how to manage your personal finances. No, it doesn't it does do not, anything. Do, it doesn't teach you how to how to um, how to have um, a healthy um, relationship with credit, which is so important to life as an adult. Oh, yeah. It it it, it, it sort of teaches you some socialization, but it doesn't really teach you how to build relationships like you need if you're going to survive 
as an adult. And, and if you want to thrive as an entrepreneur, relationships right. are everything. Everything. Like, right. People do business with people they know, like, and trust and who they believe care about them. Yeah. No, right? it's so and, true. And yeah. if you can master that skill, that will go a long way in everything, whether you're an employee, an entrepreneur, or whatever. That's so important. Does school really drum that into you? No, it, t- it teaches you how to get a grade on the test. Oh, and the getting right, getting grades on tests is not what life is all about. No, and it's the worst. And, it's, and it is because right now my daughter's in sixth grade and she's bored out of her mind. Like she's like, mom, they're teaching us stuff that we learned in second grade. I just, and it's interesting because my oldest is dyslexic. So, so I literally have like the one that's, you know, struggled because I'm like, honey, all this stuff that you, you, you they're saying you have to learn. You don't like I don't use any of the stuff that I learned in school, and I just want you to know that. And then, but then my daughter, who's so good, I have I don't want her to be like, oh, mom says it doesn't matter, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try because it does come easy to her, and so I want her to try because that's you know learning how to study and all those things, you know. you know, not procrastinating, you know, you get some of that stuff, but it is, um, it's so interesting that that's who God, you know, b- blessed me with because my sister who was not dyslexic, but struggled in school a little bit. So she probably had like processing her four kids each has one is like slightly dyslexic. One is slightly dysgraphic. They're all slight. And then I have like the extremes. And so we laugh all the time. She's like, I'm in it all the time. I'm like, no, I only can be in it for one. And then the other two, I'm like, you're good. Okay, great. Cause I can't do that anymore. That was awful that I had to go back to earth science. I want to poke my eyes out. Like, and I literally will say to the teacher, like they'll call and be like, okay, Montgomery, you know, was here. Cause you have to check in, you know, and I would say, okay, no offense, but like, he's not going to be a scientist. So why are we giving a shit about this? Like, let's talk about the things that he's really good at. Like English, English and history, he's really good at. So why are we focusing on earth science? I'm like, no offense. I know that you're the science teacher and I hope I'm not offending you, but your subject is stupid <laughs> for anyone that doesn't want to be an earth scientist. And then they all, my husband's always like, honey, you can't say that. Cause I'm like, but it's true. Like, why are we still in this age where we're still like, even the, some of the, books that they're reading. I'm like, wait, I read that. There's so many better books out there. Why are you re- still reading that book? So I, we, we could have a whole conversation about this because this makes me crazy, but um, me too. I love I, I love it. And, and I also, you know what I love? I love that we were ended and then Gina popped in and I was like, ooh, Gina actually needs to hear this. Gina, I know you're laughing right now because the last bunch of them, you, you need to listen back because David dropped some nuggets on his on his journey, and um, he does have a movement. Even though he left, it, it's a, a, a community movement, which is great for entrepreneurs and, and networking and all of that. So, um, I think it's an important one for you to listen to. So, David, I'm going to say goodbye again. <laughs> thank you, Julia, <laughs> and thank you for joining YNS Live. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. David, thank you again. Thank oh, you, so Juliet. so slow. We got the slow one taking us out. <laughs> Bye, everyone.